Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. He's back. I think it's third, maybe even fourth time. You're up there with Simon Fraser, James, in the uh, the league table of appearances. It's James Bolley, captain at Purposeful. Hi, James. Hi, Simon. One of my life goals is always to be better than Simon Fraser, so that's uh, very exciting to hear. Okay, I'll tag him in when we put this out. <laughs> sounds like we're starting a competition. Um yeah, I'm not sure that's one for the listeners to be involved in, but maybe we have a, a, pr- a private league table that uh, that we don't share. So it's a while since we spoke. Lots happened in the world. There's been a global pandemic that we've started, fingers crossed, to come out the other side of. Uh, there's been a war that's started and hopefully will come to some kind of conclusion very soon. There's been rising cost prices all over the world, supply chain shortages, the great resignations talked about in terms of people choosing to move jobs, do different jobs. Maybe that's an impact from the pandemic. Maybe that's an impact from Brexit or both. Who knows? But that's probably a good place to, I suppose, restart the conversation or continue the conversation on purpose. And I know you've been doing lots of research. So how are people feeling about brands, purpose as we come out of this horrible two and a half years that we've had of all being locked up and working from home yeah it's been a really difficult period for a lot of a lot of people and as you say i've been doing lots of research not primary research but i've been using other people's research to try and get an overview of how people are feeling about brands and about work at the start of 2022 and i was presenting at a conference in march 2022 about this notion of kind of what is purpose, how how important it is, and so on. And I was paired up in my session with the CEO of Ipsos, Ben Page, who was presenting before me. And I was a bit worried about going up against such a, a big hitter um, and presenting directly after him, but it couldn't actually have gone better from my perspective because he did a presentation, 20-minute summary, from Ipsos's global research, the tracker that they've been running for 10 years, looking at how people feel about brands and how people feel about the world. And the story that he told within that data couldn't have made my argument um, better, really, or, or spoken more to the, the importance of, of purpose. Like coming out of the pandemic at the beginning of 2022, 60% of people in the UK agree with the idea that they tend to buy bands, brands that reflect their personal values. And that's a 40% increase over, over a period of eight years. So people more than ever have this sense that the brands that they buy need to align with their values and define their personality. And they expect more than ever business leaders to have a point of view on social and political issues. Interestingly, it's significantly higher in the UK agreement with that with that idea than it is in the US, which was the lowest country that they measured. But in general, it was two thirds of people in the UK thought that leading business people should have opinions on these issues. But we know from experience that often large organisations talk a good game on these things and don't really necessarily walk the walk based on it. Um, But in terms of how people are feeling about brands, they want them to have, they want them to have this idea of a, a social purpose. They want them to have a perspective on environmental, social issues. And when they say, yeah, I want brands to have an opinion on these issues, what they really mean is I want brands to agree with me on these issues. They want them to have the same opinion as me. And it's because it is more important than than ever in the world we live in today. And is is that a, a longevity thing as well? Because I think 
maybe even pre-pandemic, lots, let's let's take the, the big four supermarkets, we don't need to name them, but they all came out and said, we're going to reduce our carbon footprint. Um, we're going to reduce packaging as part of that. We're going to uh, electrify our delivery fleet. Then the pandemic hit. And guess what? We all got home deliveries. You know, my mum had never done it before. All of a sudden she's doing it not on electric trucks because there wasn't time. So we, we drove against some of those beliefs that they were pushing for. And I, I must say, I, since we've everything's been relaxed, I've not seen many of those, certainly the big four, review that or come back out and talk about it because cost is now king. And we've, I've mentioned supply chain pressures and what have you. And to do some of this stuff isn't cheap. And as a re- as a consumer, can we really pallet prices going up to pay for electric fleets? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. People's intentions are good around um, these these issues. People say that they would buy from a brand that has the same values as them, but that's assuming that it's the, an equivalent product at an equivalent price. I think when push comes to shove, if you have to pay a 50% premium, not everybody will do that. And I think that's that's really true. I think in, um, you know, thinking about large businesses in general, not not just grocers, there's a bit of a misconception that meeting environmental and sustainability goals will raise your costs. In the short term, there are often um, capital outlays that that is difficult for businesses. But generally, if you approach a, a problem like electrifying your fleet or uh, replacing your your office building, whatever it is, if you factor the right environmental and sustainability uh, factors into your decision, often it will turn out that the that the that the best solution for the environment is also one of the best solutions for you financially. I, 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 I think it's true that people perceive a trade off. I don't think it's necessarily true that there always is actually one there. And the the trend the the trend that we're seeing in terms of how what's important to companies and more importantly, what's important to the companies investing in those companies is that they expect them to have a position on some of these ESG issues, even if it is expensive. So I would expect electrification of fleets is on the agenda um, somewhere in the organization. It's just a case of when it will become, when it will bubble back to the top. And how forgiving are we going to be? So if it's still on the agenda in five years time are we as consumers going to be saying well it, it's great that that's what you think but we need some action or actually are we are we going to be saying yeah that's fine as long as you keep your prices down i think the sad truth is that a lot in a lot of markets it, it will be uh it will be segmented there'll be some people that are prepared to stomach um a bit more and some people that will forgive and some people that that won't rather than a uniform decision and and progress in this area is never linear um so i think it will i think it will depend but i think in general the expectation of large investors including a number of um you know pensions companies want to see progress on societal issues before they'll give these brands their money and it, it will force people's hands um i don't think it will necessarily be up to consumers i think it will be driven by the investors Interesting, interesting. So now, you me- you mentioned um, some of the research you- you've been doing. What other bits have you got to share with us? Yeah, well, I think obviously there's this this sense that uh, consumers don't necessarily want to pay more for their products, but they want their brands to reflect their values. There's also a sense of post-pandemic in particular, what the world of work should look like today. And there's lots of research. I'm, I'm not just quoting Ipsos here. There's various sources People are 
um, looking for remote work options as standard now. That's just an expectation. They're looking for increased levels of fairness. They're looking for an increased recognition of their mental health and their work-life balance. And they are, more than ever, looking for values alignment in the organizations they work in. And there's some really scary statistics in some of these areas. But um, in terms of work-life balance and mental health, uh, found some research recently that showed people with children under 18 are significantly more likely to be disengaged and burned out at work than, than people without um, children under the age of 18, which I think goes to show um, uh, the impact on um, on home lives of, uh, of 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 when work kind of constrains your your freedom to to do things that can be increased when you have children. Um, there are similar statistics showing that yeah, burnout and that sense that quest for fairness is higher amongst women and other um, and other groups as as well. So it's a um, yeah, it's it's quite a quite a tricky picture for employers to look at because there's a lot that people are now demanding that that maybe they would have thought of as a perk three years ago is now kind of something that's standard. And within that, so fairness, work-life balance, when we're working from home, I typically find I probably work harder longer because it's more difficult to switch off a personal thing maybe other people find it, it differently than if I'm working in an office environment or I'm out traveling meeting clients and I know that was very true for lots of people in peak pandemic when it was team zoom google hangouts meeting one after the other so I think that there's a play there of how how are people going to start thinking about how you manage that you know maybe that there's automated shut off of emails at times so you physically can't send it and again i get lots of emails saying just because i'm sending you this email at this time doesn't mean don't feel you need to reply um and the other thing on fairness that i'm not sure has played through yet is if i manage a team of people and then a um, promotion or a move comes up am i more likely to favor consciously subconsciously somebody who have more interactions in the office more than somebody that works at home yeah i think that's that's completely completely true um i think there's been some research uh conducted that showed that actually the people who have benefited most from remote working are the people who are already more senior um and people like to promote people that are visible to them or people that they feel are like them and so Yes, people who are more visible, perhaps uh, schmoozing in the office and making sure people see them, might um, ha- might be rewarded unfairly over people that are less visible, and that is something that organisations need to fix. But I think it's I think kind of something you said there is 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 really kind of illustrative of uh, of where we are in in this. I think there are two points I make. Firstly. What people say is not necessarily the same as what people actually do. And while people talk a good game about, I need work-life balance, I want fairness, actually people are still being driven to to move by pay as much as anything um, because of cost of living crises and rising costs and, and so on. And the other thing is that you talked about, you know, is there a way we could ins- install a solution that would say cut off email after a certain time of day? And I think... I think it illustrates that um, large organizations in particular often look for an IT solution or a solution to try and control how people behave. Whereas actually what this comes down to is the culture within that organization. What type of culture do you have and, and do you build and how does that impact on people and 
and that's something I'll talk about more in a in a second if that's okay. Yeah. Um, in in terms of that that sense of you know are people actually behaving the way that they say they will? We're seeing both sides of the Atlantic high numbers of vacancies, and we're seeing in the UK in particular companies reporting. Um, difficulties hiring they're finding there's there's real skills gaps and real friction in the market at the moment at, at various levels uh, from people who they need to to come in and, and man their fleets to people in, in executive roles there's there's this kind of uh friction in the market between who's available and who who you can get into the jobs and that's you know that's reflected in the anecdotes of of my clients and, and my and my wider network i uh, I work a lot with small medium enterprise owners and you know I network in in that at that area and I, I speak to a lot of them and those that are hiring are generally saying it's harder than ever to find the right people for our organizations and clearly hiring is expensive and um, long hiring processes are even more expensive and that's one of those one of those things that's driving costs up that that we all need to be aware of. Yeah, we're seeing the same in kind of some of the certainly hospitality and retail um, customers that we work with that people will go through the process. They'll say they start and they don't actually ever turn up because on their start date, they just say, sorry, I've got a job down the high street, a pound an hour more, or they stay for a week, but somebody in a week's time offers them that job with a pound an hour more and then they leave. So there's lots of energy going into people that never start or never stay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... um. I mean, it's a scary story. So pay is clearly important and particularly um, at the kind of living wage level, um, level jobs. Um, but what you what, what we are seeing in some areas, and this is this has been true. So you need to be able to attract the right people to your organization, and then you need to be able to to keep them. And in terms of attracting people to your organization, in later stage hiring people make an assessment of your organization based on what they think of your culture and based what they think of your values and that's not if if i'm working in one store and somebody comes and says to me come down the road you'll get the same pay but the culture's better then that's kind of intangible and it's not necessarily something that's going to entice them in the same way that a pound an hour extra would but when they're if they've got an option between two jobs and they're at the later stages of the interview it is entirely what will drive their decision is, okay, what, what kind of organization does this look like and how does it feel when I'm here? And in office and head office operational roles and so on, there's lots of evidence that the candidate's perception of your organization's record on ESG matters and on sustainability and that type of thing does make a difference on which company they want to work for. And then once you're in the business, clearly, the culture is going to be instrumental in, in making you stay. So, you know, I think uh, on lots of levels, yeah, pay pays a big issue. But but generally, that idea of what kind of culture are you building and how is that contributing to society is really important in later stage job search and in emotional investment in the organisation ongoing. No, no, that makes complete sense. So, so it, it comes down to probably some of the stuff we've talked about before. It's building that culture on the backbone of your purpose so it's not a nice vision mission statement words on a wall words on a leaflet it's about how you live and breathe that day in day out or have a strategic plan that you actually achieve and get there and we understand you know things change things move out things move forward but back to the electric truck scenario if in 10 years time everybody's still 
who's doing home delivery looking at building an electric truck fleet, then they're not really living and breathing their purpose and values and building the culture on the back. It's a, a nice statement that's on the never, never. That's exactly right. And, you know, if if you were to say that your purpose was to make the lives of Britain shoppers a little better every day, for example, you need to weigh up that decision about electrify, electrifying your fleet. Now, maybe in the short term, doing um, something so that people can get groceries in a pandemic, that's more important than electrifying your fleet. But the lives of everybody in the UK in 10 years time, probably going to be more positively impacted by having a, a climate that we can live in than getting their groceries slightly cheaper today. So if you were leading a business and your purpose, if you truly meant it, um, you would be making that kind of long-term decision based on that, not just on how much it's going to impact your your profits this year. And I don't want to be glib because I know there are lots of organizations where it's not a case of they're making lots of profit and they're just trying to decide whether to give it to shareholders or invest it in a new fleet. I know there are lots of businesses really struggling. Uh, but that's illustrative, I think, of the point. Are you prepared to think long-term about what what strategy and what what decisions are really going to support your purported purpose, um, or is it just a marketing slogan? And that's you know I've been talking about purpose for about ten years now, and I've been running my business purposeful since twenty nineteen, helping organisations find purpose. And the mistake that I made was that I talked about purpose, which is kind of an abstract concept. What I've started talking about since the pandemic is is culture. This sense of how do you build a consistent culture, a way of doing things around here that supports what this organization is trying to achieve and and helps people within the organization achieve their goals. Like purpose has always been a marketing idea, a brand positioning, but purpose today, and again, there's some evidence backing this up, but purpose today has to be a foundational element of how you run your business or else is just words because people are more savvy than ever, they're more cynical than ever, and they can see through it. So what you need to do is Purpose is your starting point, but then you need to build a culture on top of that. And that your culture is the way you do anything and the way you do everything. And it's your culture that's going to determine whether or not somebody feels the need to open an email and reply to it at half past 11 at night, not an IT solution. So I would always uh, counsel my clients and people I meet to focus on how you can build the culture rather than how can you can implement a tech solution just to take the problem away. Yeah. And that, that culture, is that always set by the, the most senior person in the organization? No, I mean, the, the, the truth is that if you're in a large organization, there are probably multiple cultures because the culture is the way people in a, in a particular part of that organization do things. Um, and so while, it's incredibly important that it's it's led from the top down. It has to be built from the bottom up. And we always talk about, you know, think about your culture as a building. Um, that building has to be built on strong foundations or else it will subside or fall down. It won't be fit for purpose. And if you have strong foundations, then you need to stay within them because if you've got a house built on strong foundations, but then you add a rickety extension, it can actually pull a whole wall down and destroy the entire house. So you need to be able to define these foundations. You need these foundations to be strong in order to have a successful business. So we talk about purpose and values being the foundations of your your culture. And then you build on top of that with uh, the strong walls that stay within the the foundations and and the footprint of the building. The walls are your strategy. And then you put a roof on on your building, which is what you measure 
and how you incentivize people because that shows everybody what's important it keeps everybody inside the building warm and dry you then need to think about your employee experience the wiring and plumbing of your building that's what delivers the energy to your organization and what takes away the waste and the, and the shit is um you know how do people treat each other and how do you treat your people you've got the windows and doors how you interact with the outside world it's your customer experience and then how you decorate the building how you furnish the building is your governance how you run it day to day the decisions that you make every day in terms of how easy it is to live in that building all of this goes together to um to building the culture of a of, of an organization and it needs to be um, it needs to be all in line with those foundations. Now, it's not to say that all of the rooms in the building need to be exactly the same. You can encourage, you know, the sitting room and the, the bedroom to be completely different places because they have different goals, but they're still within the same building. They're still built on the same foundations and achieving the same aim. So that's the way I kind of try and encourage uh, people to to think about it. No, very, very good. And I assume they're kind of senior people are the the landlords or the custodians for that that amount of time that have got to repair the roof or clean the windows or paint the front door because ultimately they're the ones that bring that all together don't they and, and make sure it's inhabitable and people want to come and say hello and ultimately colleagues want to live there well exactly and then also they're responsible for the tone of the how you landscape the building so that it looks like a fun place to to visit as well but i think the phrase this is <laughs> It's a bit of a winding anecdote, which I won't tell now in the interest of time. But the phrase I always use is don't be a duck. Um, like if you are sitting on the roof quacking at people as they go in and out of the building, then it's not really going to make any difference. As a leader, you need to be on the ground talking with the architects and really inspiring them with the, the vision of what the building should look like and working with people in inside the building so that it, it turns into a dream place to to live that ultimately somebody wants to buy or move into uh it's no use kind of sitting on the sidelines and just quacking at, at people um and so that's in my yeah in my perspective and based on lots of research and by m- many cleverer people than me the role of the leader within that is to help set the tone define the vision and corral people and it, i think the only the only thing i would add to that is of course if you are in a business today and you don't think you have a clear definition of your purpose or your values. It's important that you as the leader don't just go and sit in a room and create something because purpose isn't created, it's discovered. The role of the leader there is to bring out the purpose from other people. So yeah, it's not a creation job. It's a, yeah, like you say, it's a discoverer and then custodian of this treasure that will help you build the strongest culture you can. Brilliant. No, that's really good and, and really good insight in terms of hopefully helping the listeners just think about what that means to them in the kind of context of the last two and a half years that we've come through. Is it standing true? Does it need revisiting? You know, is what's on the plan deliverable or, or as we've talked about, are they just words? So hopefully spark some thought in some people listening in terms of things to do differently or just check in on and make sure it's still true. Any yeah, final- and- thoughts to leave us with James? Yes, I would add two things if that's all right, Simon. I mean, I've always said that the way you treat your customers is the ultimate evidence of what your values and your your purpose are. If you're examining something in your store's 
restaurants, shops, whatever it is, if you are making decisions on technology to deploy brands to sell, does it does it fall within our values? Should we have, you know, tech tech stores with, with no team members, or is actually the way we make our people, our customers feel imp- more important to us? And is it more important to have people visible? Should we have these kind of uniforms and those kind of masks and so on? All of these decisions that might sound tactical actually should be made not just on cost, but on a sense of is this right for our brand? Because it's living your brand effectively in in your locations every day that that proves your purpose and makes people feel warm towards you and buy into you and think that you've got the same values um and then the second point i make if it's okay is you know this this appreciation of the fact that it's about building culture is is why i changed my my handle on some of the social media things to james bolly the the culture builder and if anybody wants to find me ask me questions and talk to me i'm not in this to to sell anything i'm in this to try and help people uh run better businesses be more successful and have better lives so if anybody wants to get in touch and ask me anything challenge me on any of this or or discuss it then they can find me it's james bolly the culture builder on instagram and on linkedin brilliant good that was my last point going to say if if people want to continue this conversation but yeah if you can't find james on any of those channels then you always come through us and we can connect you directly but um james as ever it's it's a pleasure i will do some research and get back to you if you are the record holder of appearances or if it's our friend simon fraser and you can you can fire that out to the death between well thank you bragging rights are important here i think (laughs) thanks james take care thank you simon see you soon